Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, this morning um, we're on the second week of a preaching series called Revival. So part of opening new doors, the heart of our church is, is not just to open doors because we think that's just a good idea to do. We believe that God has called us as a church to join with every other church in this nation and really believe God for revival. You know, what this nation needs is an encounter with Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, for all the things that we do, all the things that we give to our communities, they are part of opening doors and opening people's hearts as we give physical help to people as we try and meet those needs. But at the end of the day, what comes through those hands is also a faith in our heart that says Jesus is the answer. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus is the answer. And uh, so as a church, that's why we do what we do and why we feel called to be a church that is opening those doors. So revival is in our heart at the moment. And so we want to speak into that. We want to really look and see what the Bible says about that. One of the central uh, scriptural texts that we're looking at is in Luke 4 and verse 18. I'm, I'm sure last week when Manny Preachy would have spoken about this, this is Jesus standing up to open the Bible, open the scriptures. And it's his allotted time to do that. And as it turns out, the scripture that he opens up to actually speak and read from is Luke chapter 4. Well, it's actually Isaiah 61, but he opens from Isaiah 61 and he begins to speak on that particular day, which is the start of his ministry. The first sermon he ever preaches is Isaiah 61. And he gets up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is written by Isaiah hundreds of years before, speaking about a Messiah that's going to come. And there they are in the midst of the synagogue, hearing the Messiah himself actually speak the words to them. It's a profound moment. The challenge is no one in the synagogue realised it. He was speaking to a bunch of blind people who couldn't see. They couldn't see that standing in front of them was the answer to their lives. And I think it's true today in Australia. We have a marketplace full of people. We have a nation full of people. Jesus is the answer to their need. He is the Messiah. He is the coming King, but not everyone's eyes can see. Now that's why we need revival, because we need a church that is fully armed with that fully devoted sense of who God is, taking that message to the people who need to see it so that those eyes can be opened. Amen. Jesus is the answer for today. Revival looks like the Holy Spirit poured out in people's hearts, fully aflame, fully devoted and fully committed. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the celebration of 50 days from the time of Passover or from when we celebrate Easter. 
This is the time when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room as they stood the 120 praying, believing, knowing that God was going to do something on this day. They just didn't know what. And of course, the rushing wind came, the tongues of fire sat on their heads and the Spirit of God was poured out on this earth and he has been working on this earth ever since. And he's looking for a church that will press in again to that same fire and wind. We'll take hold of that fire. We'll take hold of that wind and not just settle for the comfortable Christianity, but actually step out of where we are and take hold by faith of the promises of what this kingdom is all about and bring the kingdom to earth. Oh, let me break the mic. Bring the kingdom to earth. That's the mission of the church. It's not a simple mission. It's not an easy mission. It's a sacrificial mission. It's a mission that causes us to go outside of what we think we should do, to reprioritize our own heart so that we do what God is asking us to do. It's not simple. Following Jesus and asking him into our heart is a simple thing to do. Allowing him to come into our life is an important thing to do. But the mission of Jesus will cost us everything. It's not a simple mission. And any other gospel that preaches it is not the true gospel because the true gospel wants to take every single bit of sin and destroy it in your life so that the power of God can be released in such a way that people go, wow, who are you? You're different. You don't look like everybody else. What is it about you? You're a strange breed. You're a bit like that Jesus guy. Christ-like, Christian. That's us. And I think sometimes in Australia, the church needs to re-embrace that message. We need to realise that that's what we've actually been called to. We're called to be a peculiar people, a holy priesthood, a nation called to God to serve him in a way that's different to any other. This morning, what I'd love to do is I'd love to take just one part of this passage in, in Luke 4, talking about how the blind will see. I want to go to a really famous story. It's uh, the time when Jesus caused a blind man to see. And just look at this particular story. It's one you probably know well. But I believe this morning there's something God wants to reveal to us as he opens our hearts to it. Can we go to John chapter 9 and verse 1? John chapter 9 and verse 1. And if you have a Bible, please read along with me. Your device, fantastic. Otherwise on the screen. And this is what it says. Now as Jesus passed by... He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made a clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbours and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? I love this in the Bible, there's a little dialogue. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. There you go. It's funny how John thought that was important to put in. <laughs> Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to him, 
go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Let me pray. Father, this morning, that's our prayer, that we would receive sight. Father, there'd be many people that will receive physical sight because your kingdom comes to this earth. But there are many, many, many more that need to receive spiritual sight. God, that we would see the Messiah in our midst. We would not miss that Jesus, who is Lord, who is the King of the kingdom, is coming again. And that we are to be people that lift our heart to you and live for you. God, the hurts of our nation, the challenges of our nation, can only be solved under the kingship of Jesus. And God, we pray that you would get us to see, help us to see today, I pray, something in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus walked the earth, he did signs and wonders, the Bible says. The challenge is that every single miracle Jesus did was a wonder, but not every miracle Jesus did was a sign. There's a difference. That's why there's signs and wonders. Signs point to things. Signs are saying, hey, look this way. The signs are revealing something. The signs that Jesus did, he did because he was fulfilling prophetic scripture that confirmed him as Messiah. And he did them strategically. The thing we've got to learn from this story is there's two critical things that were happening. In order for us to see what God is doing, we've got to get these two things this morning. The first is this. Then in all of the history of this book, this miracle is the first time anyone received sight. In all the miracles that happened in this Bible beforehand, all of the wonders that happened under the, under the uh, prophets and other great men of God, no one ever received sight. This was the first time someone received sight. I didn't realize it until I did my own research, but study it for yourself. It's quite amazing. So it's a phenomenal sign in itself. The second thing is this. Not that the person got sight, but when he got sight. In the timeline of Jesus, in what he was doing, it was a critical timing in God why this person got sight. It just didn't happen. It's why Jesus said, you know, this person hasn't sinned. He, has been, he was blind because he was here to give glory to God. There was a moment in time that God appointed for this man's life to be used as a sign. It's incredible. And we're going to look at what that was today because God is amazing at how he fulfills his prophetic word. So when did this man get healed? Well, it was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. If you look at your Bible and you look at the timing, it's the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, it's the end feast of the Jewish calendar. It's one of the great celebrations. What I want you to picture in your head is World Expo. It's like there's a million extra people flood into Jerusalem. They come from all over the nation. It is a party. There is dancing. There is more food than you can throw your nana at. It is just everywhere. There is flags. There are trumpets. There are the priests and all of the official people of the temple are dressed in their royal, in, in the best of their finery. It is the time to come out and party. And the nation comes together. It is colourful. Can you get a picture of what this is like? It's loud. And the nation is together and the streets are crowded. It's the Feast of Tabernacles and it goes for seven days. And over the course of the seven days, the intensity each day builds and builds and builds until we get to the end of that. But we'll get to that in a minute. What happens each day, though, is two celebrations happen. 
During the day is what's called the water libation ceremony, and at night, the festival of lights. And each of these ceremonies happen every day for seven days. What is the water libation ceremony? Well, I'm glad you asked. The water libation ceremony is essentially water in the Middle, in the Middle East in ancient times was like gold. It was more important than anything else. Without water, you're dead. And the pool of Siloam was fed by the Gihon Spring, which was the main spring that gave life to all of the, of the nation of Israel. And back in Solomon's time, he'd been very clever. He had sort of water ducted, aqueducted this into the city secretly so that the city could never be put under siege and they could always have water supply. It was like water is life and water was incredibly symbolic to them, therefore. And God was the one that brought water to the earth. And so what the priests would do is they would take, they'd be dressed in their finery, they'd walk in single file up to the pool of Siloam, they'd dip their, their jars in this water and they'd walk back in single file with all the people chanting and they would pour this water onto the altar. While they were pouring the water on the altar, there were other priests on the other side pouring wine onto the altar, the drink offering, and the water and the wine would mix. And while that was all happening, the people themselves would be chanting Isaiah 12. They'd be saying, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would chant this, this prophecy of Isaiah. And what they were doing is they were speaking messianically. They were speaking that God's wonderful provision of water to the earth was the same as his Holy Spirit that he poured out with life. And they were saying, God, send your Holy Spirit again. Send it again to refresh us. Just like you send the rain from heaven, send your Holy Spirit to refresh us. And so this was what they were saying. The wells of salvation weren't just talking about physical nourishing. It was talking about spiritual life. Draw again from the wells of salvation. And so, God, pour out your spirit. And that would happen every day. At night time, the festival of lights, there were four massive candelabras, 40 foot high, that stood in the house of the women, the court of the women, within the, in the temple te uh, surrounds. And they would light these things up. So big was these massive lights that they could be seen from all over the city. In fact, you get the temple sort of shone. It was like a light display. And it was a, this wonderful festival of lights would happen. Very ceremonially, it would happen. And while that was happening, the people would recite Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. This ceremony was also messianic. What they were saying is, come again, Messiah, stand in our midst, because when you do, our nation will be great and we will once again be a light to the nations. Because that's the prophecy that was given to Abraham. You'll be a light. You'll be a salvation to the nation. So they were praying, come Messiah. Make us great. Free us from this tyranny. Very, very messianic. Okay, here's the point. Each day those two ceremonies would happen. 
day after day, until we get to the last day, the seventh day, it's known as the great day. The great day. And they would build, and on the last day, the priests would grab willow branches that they'd all bundled together, and they would go around the altar, bashing the ground, saying, come, Messiah, come. Come, Messiah, come. Come, Messiah, come. Come, Messiah, come. And they'd go around and around and around, and then it would build in crescendo, and the people would build with them, and then they'd go quiet. There'd be this hush. And part of that was for them to all stand in silence. The whole, could you imagine, the courtyard, just thousands and thousands of people now hushed. Mothers holding their children. And they'd listen for the wind. And the point is, now we're listening. Messiah, will you come? And they looked to the heavens. And they would literally wait as a nation. And this is what happened in that moment. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, can you picture it? Everyone's quiet. He stands up in a loud voice. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They just watched this water ceremony for seven days. They'd seen the lights. And now Jesus stands and says, basically, I am he that you are asking for. I am the water. I am the water of life that you've been pouring out. Here I am. And they look. And the eyes of the nation cannot see him. He is Messiah. He stands in their midst. He is fulfilling prophecy. But the nation doesn't see that he's there. Does it sound like any other nations you know? Jesus in the midst of them. And after the seventh day, we then move to the eighth day, which is when our story takes place. This is why it's so powerful. Jesus now does two signs, messianic signs. The first one is the woman caught in adultery. You remember, they bring her out on the eighth day, it's the Sabbath. It's the day of judgment after the Feast of Tabernacles. They throw her on the ground and they say, and they bring Jesus in order to trap him, because he's the one that's saying he's Messiah. And they say, what would you do? She's been caught in adultery. And Jesus writes on the ground, and then he stands up eventually and says, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And then he goes back to writing on the ground again. And eventually the crowds disperse, the Pharisees, and they leave him and Jesus is left with the woman. And he says, where are your accusers, woman? And she says, they've gone. He said, well, I don't accuse you either. Go your way, but sin no more. Why is that a messianic sign? Because Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. He came to set the prisoners free. He came to set those who were oppressed. Whether the woman is guilty or not, it's not at the point. Jesus is here to set her free. There's no way he's going to condemn her. That is not the mission of Messiah. The mission of Messiah is to forgive and set free. Even those that are guilty. Even those that deserve the judgment. That's you and me. That's me. I deserve the judgment. 
But Jesus looks into my eyes, thank God, and he says, Derek, I forgive you. I've got no other alibi. I can't point to anything. I can't say it's someone else's fault. All I can do is stare at him and go, Father, I need that forgiveness. Thank you. I received that. And that woman on that day received from the Messiah the grace of God. And he said, I set you free, but don't sin again. Isn't that what he's saying to us? I set you free. And we come back to him time and time again, and we've done the same thing again. And he, we come back to him and we say, God, would you forgive me again? And he goes, I, I already have. Go again and sin no more. And the grace of God, grace upon grace, morning, every morning we rise, the mercies of God are new. Jesus was ushering in that kingdom. Now there's the second sign. He's walking from that scene and he walks past the blind man. What he does with the blind man is powerfully symbolic of the kingdom. Don't just read past this. Understand the symbolism. This is Jesus. Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word made flesh. He was the one that stood in the abyss of the void when the world was without form and void. And he said, let there be light. That's that guy. <laughs> that guy. He's the Word of God. He's spoken to the prophets all the way through history. He's fulfilled the word of the prophecies. He's standing as the word made flesh now. And this man is blind. And so he takes the produce of his mouth, the words of his mouth, the spit of his mouth, and from the clay, from the, from the dust of the earth makes clay. And then he says, go and put that clay on your eyes. And he sends them where? To the water, the Holy Spirit. The water, which means the Holy Spirit, the life of God, the breath of God. Go and wash the Word and the Spirit. Put them together and you will see. Can you see? It's the Word of God revealed by the Spirit that causes blindness to flee. That's the Word of the Lord. So the blind man sees symbolically Messiah is confirmed, but you and I get to 2,000 years later, look back on that and say, there's a key to the kingdom. That's how the kingdom works. That's the key to the kingdom. The word of God revealed by the spirit, washed in the spirit, the word and spirit come together and now we can see the things of the spirit. We can see what God is doing. We're able to see past the natural into the realm of the Spirit. Now we know God's thinking. Wow, what a partnership. What a partnership. Jesus reveals to us. See, without the Word and the Spirit, our blindness cannot be cured. We're born with this incredible Ability for curiosity and inquiry. When God created the earth, he put Adam and Eve in it and he said, go and, you know, take dominion, multiply. Take dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Basically what he said to him is, go and get together, create families, build towns that become cities, create ways of doing things so that you as a human race can actually do things scientifically and tactically better. Work out how to do community better. God's all for cities. God's all for community. God's all for men and women coming together, working out how to do life well. He's okay with science. He invented it. He likes us to work out how it all works. And we've been studying it for thousands of years. If you're someone that says, uh, loves to watch documentaries or you're a bit of a geek, welcome to Jesus' promise. He loves you. Work it all out. He's all for that. 
The problem is if the only thing you've got is your five senses and your rational mind, you won't see past the natural realm. God wants you to walk in the natural realm, but also the spiritual realm. And so we need the eyes of the spirit as well as the eyes of the natural. We need to be both. And Jesus was giving us a key. Without that, blind, without that sight, we're filled with anxiety because we can't see tomorrow. See, our curiosity and inquiry is only good in the present and the past. But when we look forward, we can't see anything because we, we don't know what's in the future. But God does. So when we partner with God, we can trust God for the future while we work in the present and the past. Now we have a sight. We can see it all. Can you see? The plan of God is so great. But he needs us to have eyes that can see. He wants to put his spittle, if you'd let me say it this way. He wants to put his spittle on your eyes so you wash them in the, in the Holy Spirit's revelation so that you'll start to see things. He wants to take you on that journey. That's what Australia needs. That's what Australia needs. Australia needs that encounter with God. The challenge is they don't know what it looks like until they see us do it. They want, this, they want to say, well, that's what it looks like. That's what people look like who walk with God. Okay. I'd like to do that too. That's why Australia needs the church to rise up. Someone's got to model what word and spirit looks like. There's plenty of people modeling what science looks like. There's plenty of people trying to understand things from a rational mindset. But where are the people that are pioneering word and spirit? What does that look like? That's the revival that we need. It's not a revival of rational thought. It's a revival of supernatural power. It's a revival of being plugged into something that's outside of our understanding, but inside of the heart and mind of God. And Jesus is still standing in the marketplace and he's still crying out, come to me. He still stands up in the silence and says, I am he that you are looking for. Revelation 3 says it really clearly. He says, behold, this is Jesus speaking. I stand at the door of your life and I knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Can you imagine the patience of Jesus? He just waits for someone to open the door. I'm so glad that opened. I hadn't practiced that because I didn't really know what was going on. It's just a simple transaction, isn't it? He doesn't ask much from us. Just that we'd hear him knock and we'd open the door. And he says this, if you open the door, I'll come in. I won't just come in, I'll sit with you and I'll dine with you. We'll feast together. I'm going to share a meal with you. What a wonderful promise from God. And the needs of people haven't changed. It was the same back then as it is now. There's still the poor that are amongst us. And we're not talking about people who are without natural resources, but that, that will include them. We're talking about people whose hope has been stolen. That's what poor is. Poor is I have hope for more and I can't get it on my resources. My hope is stolen. There are those who are still living in prisons of troubled emotions. 
There are those who are still oppressed by burdens that have been placed on them, demonic burdens, societal burdens, pressures of their past, habits of thought and acting that they can't break through. And there are still those who are blind. Church, we have got to open some doors. We have got to. It's, it's not a choice. It's not like Jesus is saying to us, you can do what you like, church. He doesn't say that to us. He says, he might use different language, but he's essentially saying, I'm knocking on the door. Would you go and help me open a few? Would you go and help me open a few? Would you help some people respond to my knock? I'm knocking. So we've got to be a church that's on this side of the door and it's on this side of the door. Oh yeah, I can do it. There you go. Both sides of the door. We are a church about doors. Probably my question to us today is who will stand in the gap? Who will hear that? Who will stand in the gap? In these next couple of weeks, can I encourage you as you ponder, as we get towards June the 19th, please hear what God is saying to you. That's all we ever ask as a church. We, we are never about the money. It is not about the money. Forget the money. Yeah, there's a target, there's some practical things. It's probably a strange thing for an executive pastor to say, but it's not about the money. For me, it's about faith. What has God called us to do? If we just hear God right, and we all just listen to God and do what he says to do, each one of us, it'll be okay. I'm, it's simple faith for me. If everybody at Gateway just hears God, God will put the whole thing together for us. I'm convinced of that. What's helped me sleep at night? You know, you can easily look at the problems and the gaps and you can be worried or you can just say, Jesus, this is your church. The gates of hell won't prevail and these are your people and you love them and I love them and together something will happen. I just encourage you, join that faith journey. Be a part of that journey. It's one of the great rewarding journeys that we have. Let me pray. If the band would come. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your word. Every single word, God, is time to perfection. There's not a word that's there that hasn't been part of a master plan. That God, as we read it, and as your spirit uncovers it, we begin to see the miracle of what you achieved through creation. What you achieved, God, through the word becoming flesh. What you achieved when you walked on the earth. God, when the Spirit was poured out, everything flows together for one purpose, and that is the glorification of your kingdom. God, of all the things that we do in this world, they will not matter as much as the coming of your kingdom. Father, would you help us to reprioritize our heart to see you, to be utterly filled with that sense of wonder about what you're doing and how we can partner with you. God, each one of us, we love you. Help our eyes to see. Help our nation to see what you're doing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes to our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.